Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to James Roberts. As a small child, he was told that he shouldn't be able to walk, and now he's a two-time Paralympic athlete. He's a performance and success coach, an author, and a host of the Mindset Athlete podcast. And he's got a lot more going on than just that. So I'm excited to have him here and tell him more about his story and what he's up to. So thank you so much, James. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about your story? Oh, fill in, fill in the gaps. Um, well, obviously what Sarah didn't mention is uh, both my parents were in the armed forces. So my dad's a retired a member of the U.S. Air Force, even though I don't sound like it, I'm actually half American. Uh, and then my mother was a, is a retired NATO civilian, so my, I, I'm not surprised that obviously the, the route that I took in terms of the prowess with the sport, because for me that was one way to to honor my country, and um, because of the disability, I, I wanted to go in the armed forces myself. My family's like, yeah. We're happy that you're disabled, that you couldn't do that just because of the risk of it. So for me, it was very, very harmonious and very honoring to be able to do it for over a decade because of all the the active service members I've had in my family on both sides. That was as close as I was going to get. So I I resided overseas um, for, for 19 years. So I grew up on a military installation in Belgium. So people ask me what that's like. It's, it's, um, I've, I've, I've used what a Olympic village is like. It's like, so people that have, have, have resided on a base, they know they can get where I'm coming from. It's like a st- student village on a military base. So you need ID to get on and off. So for me, it's, even though I, was a, I grew up in another country, it's, it, it's like another planet as well. So, that's about that's pretty much it me in a nutshell I've, obviously i've gone on and, on and done the sport and then wanted to use uh books and things like that and speaking to to almost find a purpose because i was trying to find something that was on song with with the sport i don't think i'll ever be able to match it um i had a a naive perspective i think when i did my my tedx and did all the books that i published i can't i can't really relive that that life but i can do it in a different way right so can you take us kind of through how you got into sports and your athletic journey to kind of this now after point as well so if we go back to I'd have been about eight when I first took sport up. And most people don't know this about me. I actually did martial arts to start off with first. So I did karate at eight. Uh, never got above a white belt. But but I, but I thought because I was uh, a, a naughty kid and didn't want to behave and I uh, was a bit petulant, that's not true. It's actually the, the, the second sense I had, it wasn't very adaptive to me having a disability, whereas the first one was. So that didn't last very long. Uh, I then did temping bowling, which is pretty massive in the US, uh, that I did in part of, if I get this right, the Youth Amateur Bowling Association, so Yabba from the age of 10, till I was 13 so did a lot of competitions in Europe uh, at uh, youth level and then as a a junior major which is obviously uh, teenagers and then I I fell into swimming at 11 because my mum wanted me to do a sport that obviously disability wasn't such, such a hindrance and obviously progress through that and then come at 13, I kind of went, I've got to make a choice because I can't bowl and I can't swim competitively because they're going to fall on the same day. So I, I kind of let bowling uh, go to one side and then obviously progress through swimming. Uh, by the time I was 
15, 16, one of my coaches at practice came over to me. I don't know why. I need to ask them why. What's your thoughts about doing disability sport? So I'd been able body sport from the age of, well, pretty much my entire life, but in swimming from 11 till 16, I just didn't think anything of it. Um, and my perspective towards Paralympic sport was very negative. It, it didn't get the exposure that obviously the word means of parallel to the Olympics until probably probably London. And, and it's gone from there in this country. Um, and that's my second game. So we're only talking about 10 years ago. So I'll rewind back to that that to that conversation with the coach. Um, I didn't know what to say. Um, I was very polite, be very respectful. I was, okay, that's your opinion. And then I bring it up to time to time because my mum gets annoyed about it 20 years later. <laughs> um, but in in terms of, I think once we let the dust settle, we took on board and then pretty much within, I think a few months later, I went to a, a disabled club um, in uh, Fleurus, uh, that's just outside of Liège in Belgium. Um, went to practice as normal as I would do with my club in the able-bodied, did the practice. Unbeknownst to me, uh, my mother was poolside with their management and she said that when we got back in the car, their eyes lit up. It's like they hit the jackpot. And obviously I'll give people a little bit of context. Of the three better swimmers in that program, myself included, we all went to went to the Paralympics. Um, so they probably went, oh gosh, what have we done to get all these all these athletes at one point at one particular time uh, from that, and then from there progressed, uh, did national uh, national champs, won loads of medals my first year. So that obviously helped to to want to persevere and keep going, um, and then. My mother went out of her way that summer and we came back over to the UK um, to watch the Commonwealth Games, which is the equivalent of the Pan Am Games uh, for, for, for the for the Commonwealth countries. So I was a spectator and my mum went out of her way to go down to the bottom of the bleachers, shout over the balcony, is there anybody there from the Welsh delegation? I didn't know where to hide. Um, I was just mortified. But from that, she then got in contact with British Swimming. Um, the person that she obviously got in touch with was head of British Swimming within the disabled side. He's now the the top honcho within Paralympic GB. Um, so he rang her back. Oh, I've seen that you've been trying to get hold of me. Tell me more about James. And then within the space of 12 months, I was in our national program or development team. So it was a very, very quick meteor. So literally from a conversation... At 16, I was in the national program the year later. And so what was your schooling like kind of going alongside of now national swimming and, and doing these um, competitions? In what, in what way do you mean, Sarah? Like, so I don't, I don't take the question out of context. <laughs> um, so were you like still attending school while doing all of this yeah, and yeah. doing... I was being... 16, but a sophomore, sophomore in high school. So yeah, yeah, still, still, but but because I was in a department of defense uh, school, so uh, ac- athletics and academics go pretty much hand in hand. So it's you got to go away for re- either representing the high school or representing, obviously, in my case, even higher. You do your due diligence. Oh, I'm going to be away for this period of time. I need to get the work. So yeah, I I was, I ended up with a, I believe my memory serves me right, three point three point two grade point average. So I did pretty well in schooling, even though my mom and dad probably would have liked me to be an honor student. I didn't want to be. <laughs> so uh, I I was I was focusing on succeeding in, in the sport. Um, is it a regret now as an adult? <laughs> maybe maybe like a little bit as maybe i could have maybe pushed myself a little bit harder in the classroom because i was more than capable of being 3.5 or above um any 
any higher like valed- valedictorian or salutedictorian no th- no thank you i didn't want to be that's that studious but yeah literally balancing the two and hand in hand in hand of it, it probably wasn't too difficult because a lot of our training camps were in 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 the the vacation period anyway so be it we would train as a as a squad probably in the summer easter break i can't think of any other holidays but as in did literally be there were probably times that I think one training camp that I can think of, I was on. I I had two weeks, but the rest of the UK only had a week. So I was over here. On this is actually a funny story as well. Uh, I was actually over in the UK because my aunt and uncle lived down in the in, in the London area. So I flew up from London to a training camp in the northeast of the country, Newcastle. And because I lived in Belgium, they were expecting a flight from Belgium to land in Newcastle. Oh, James isn't arrived. I think it'd been and gone. And then I came through the arrivals. I was like, I'm sure I told you. I, I, I emailed that I was going to be flying up from London Heathrow. Um, if you missed the email, I, I, apologize, I apologize. But I'd have made that pretty clear where I was coming from to 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 make it not be so i think they because i think they brought it up as like oh we thought you were coming from here like well i'll let you know to probably re re reconfirm that um so it wasn't it wasn't too much of a challenge in high school because all those plans were in in place for just regular athletics to for if because obviously we were all over europe um be it um team could be in the Netherlands one week, be in Germany the next. So there were times, depending on the travel, you were going to miss maybe a day or two days of school. So for me, it was literally, well, that's the the procedures that you're supposed to do. You're going to be away from school. You you do whatever is necessary to, to get the work ahead of time. And uh, the work that you're going to miss, obviously you need to catch up. And that's it. So literally it's been... It was probably a blessing in disguise for when I did go to university. The, the actual time management stuff was there mostly. I just had to cement it a little bit better to, well, it's no longer a nine to three, nine to three thirty schedule. It's nine o'clock till six o'clock in the, in the evening. And then I got to train somewhere around that as well. Um, so those formative years, at university, probably more difficult because it's like, well, I've got nobody telling me to to study. Well, not telling me, but as in instructing me to do it, to, to revise. To, to, I've got to do it off my own back uh, if I want to be successful in the further education that I went in. So what was university like for you? Like what degrees did you get and were you still competing alongside that? I did my undergraduate in sports science. Um, yes, very much. That was my undergraduate was probably in the, the, the very, very, very successful part of my sporting career. That's when I did my first Paralympics, um, all my world championships. And then would have been the start of sitting volleyball as well. So it was very much, um, I won't say turbulent time, but as in, I had to do a lot of. That was when I was away a lot because some sometimes it was good. I think my second year at university, um, I needed to get away, so that was that training camp was very useful to be able to spend two weeks in Spain and not have to worry about about lectures for a few weeks. I needed that break because uh, the the pressures of that particular year uh, i i didn't i didn't like one of my my lectures or how he taught and the subject didn't help either but that that particular time away it was like yes it's come as a little bit of i can put the books down focus on training 100 percent, and then obviously when it's downtown i need to obviously do assignments and things like that so in terms of university i did my uh i, I did juco as well so my first official year in university was the same season of 
going to the, my first Paralympics. So that was probably a blessing in disguise because I'd done the formulative years in JUCO and it's a little bit harder the first year, but it's literally stuff I'd already seen. So, was, um, so the university allowed me to up sticks and move down to the outskirts of London and go full time um, with no guarantee of me even making the team. So I owe them an enormous amount of gratitude even to this day to kind of go, that's a lot of faith to put into one individual and there's no guarantee whatsoever that it's going to come to fruition. So they backed me that I only had to come back from my exams, my final exams, and a group project. So if, in this day and age, I probably wouldn't have to come back for that. I'd do it remotely and it should be on screen and just talk through a computer. Um, and then maybe even with exams, I might could potentially have done that remotely as well. Uh, so other than that, I'm pretty much there all the time. Um, my the only turbulent one was probably I went to be, I went as a swimmer, and I was dropped within the space of went to university in the October of '05, and was dropped by the Christmas. Other than that, it was pretty plain sailing. Of I do recant, and I, and I don't say it in my in my media bio, but as in for me. After that Christmas, I thought I was going to be coming back as a regular student, and I was preparing myself mentally as well. What what is that going to look like? Because I've never not had sports at, at the back of my mind or at the front of it. So for me, it was like this like weird feeling as well. I'm going to get to experience what it is to be like a university college student, and then there's no there's there's no work. So that was. A, for me it was very odd because I'd only seen it in movies. So it was like, well, do I want to be like that? Do I want to be the stereotypical college student? Because up to that point I've been a student athlete and I put the athlete probably before it, the student. So unbeknownst to me, there was rumblings behind the scenes. My mom had spoken to our performance director about, what was happening with British swimming. And he said, oh, let me take care of it and I'll come up with some ideas. He rang me like two days before we were going to break up for Christmas break. I oh, watched your thoughts about doing rowing. Mm, don't know. Don't know. I don't, don't know what to think. It, wa- it, wasn't a com- it wasn't a phone call out of the blue. I spoke, I'll probably speak to him fairly often. But for, for that one, as this is the new sport, I was like, can I speak it over with my mother? And and this is obviously the beginning of my TEDx talk of she doesn't remember it to these exact words, but I do. You could be very, very good, absolutely useless. So I ran with what she said and kind of went, well, if I'm not good at that sport, I'll do something else. If I'm good at that sport, that's the one I'm going to be parachuted in and that's the way we're going to go. So I agreed to, to come in, I think it was the January when I came back, uh, from Christmas break to try out this new sport because I've seen it on the TV, probably the Olympics and then the Oxford Cambridge boat races, the probably the the most famous uh, worldwide. So I knew what rowing was, but it's like, well, I've never been in a boat in my ever, and the only person I've got in my family that has is my aunt. That's it. So went down to do the training session, taught the basics, taught the technique, and I was a natural. And the next thing they said, oh, let's go on the water now. I was like, I didn't sign up to that. <laughs> I said, I'd try it. <laughs> um, I, 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 did, I did cave a little bit and kind of went, okay, I'll give it a go. But what, what I was worried about was falling in the river or going into the work, capsizing in, in, in the river. And, and I've done it twice in a four-year career. It's not very warm. Um, one one I did it in it was like June July so that one wasn't too cold but obviously it was windy and when you're damp it's not pleasant and then the other time I capsized would have been did I do it about October that was cold and I couldn't get out I couldn't get my leg out of the boat so that I I, I was probably that close to hypothermia because they, they had to get the the safety launch and literally full throttle all the way back to the uh, the training base so I didn't catch hypothermia so that one was 
I didn't panic when I was in the water. That's probably through the eight years that I swam in the swimming pool. I was like, well, just relax. You're underwater. I spent eight years in a swimming pool through choice. It's not the same temperature, but don't don't freak out. And then I just got above the surface and I was all right. But being in the water, I think I'll probably be in the water about, I don't know, maybe five, ten minutes. But it felt longer at the time. Um, I ended up hitting the stanchion of a bridge because um, I wasn't what I thought I was further into the river than I thought I was and I hit it and that went over um so I can joke about it now but once I got back to the dorms I rang my mom up and said oh, I've nearly drowned and she did speak to me like a few weeks later she said do you realize what you said mm, not at the time because I probably would have thought about it in terms of that's pretty horrific scenario to paint into somebody's picture as well, I didn't drown because I'm a good swimmer but um I could I could have done a lot of panic but coming back to the the original one I went from strength to strength that that capsize is probably my last season in the sport and then the one before was the season before so I didn't capsize I probably made a good good thing that I didn't because if I'd have done it early doors, I'd have said, nah, not, this isn't for me. It's it's not it's not particularly pleasant. Um but I thoroughly enjoyed the four years that I did it did in rowing. Um it probably helped that I had loads of backing and and I think one of the sports you get to see every season of the that nature's got to give. So I think it, it get, even though obviously October till January is maybe even Feb is not particularly nice. It, it it is it is pretty peaceful out there. It's pretty it's pretty nice to be able to soak up every aspect of what the weather's got to to throw at you. Yeah, definitely. And you know, to hear as a professional swimmer, you know, to then be like, mm, not sure I want to go in the water uh, while rowing, but it makes sense with the with the temperature. Oh yeah, but it's, it's the temperature <laughs> difference between swimming pools probably 70 degrees fahrenheit maybe a little bit warmer competitive one be a bit cooler than that um water temperature because the water's come down from the mountains probably cut it's i've trained on a river that's colder than that up here and the person thought I was, when i was doing uh kayaking i nearly went in i managed to go up to my elbow in water i was like yep we're not going in today um, but that was that was really 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 cold. But that's coming from uh, the highest mountain in Wales, so it's I'm not surprised that that rivers it probably probably about I don't know between five and ten degrees Celsius, which is about forty forty five fifty degrees. This is a big difference, twenty degrees. Um, so that was probably my thought process as this is relatively nice because you don't have to wear much clothing in a swimming pool uh, versus, say, before I said the winter, I'm probably wearing about two, if not three layers of clothing. Mm. And and that's maybe to to, to, to be precautious if it's windy and it's wet because then you're going to have to strip down and have another set of clothing and go out again. Um, so I was probably made of hard stuff then because i don't like it when it's cold and wind uh, um, cold wet and windy now and i would choose not to go outside at all if i had the choice so that was probably my mindset but i think now because i've done uh cold immersion therapy cold showers and and, and uh, ice baths 40 degrees celsius is not that cold i've been in colder so and people have seen my videos of that, they're kinda of going, You're nuts. It's like, well Yeah, I would agree with that a little bit, but the what it enables the body to be able to do across the board from be it from mental health to uh, recovery to all sorts of things is like is amazing. It's just your mental thing you gotta come at it with it's not going to be pleasant, but it's only unpleasant at the beginning. And I've done it that I can have a, I can let the shower run now. I used to hate it when it was cold. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. Let's do the arms. If I'm feeling really courageous, I'll put my head under it. But 
if you rewind back to the good old days of swimming, no chance. Just heat this thing up, get under the hot shower, and then away we go. So the, the, the mindset shift is completely different, but that's probably because uh, we are conditioned that way to kind of seek out comfort. So there are coaches I know that are not nuttier than that. They'll go in. I, I know one particular one. He goes into. I think he went into. I think Lake Michigan, and that was in January. So that's really, 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 really cold. But if you're doing it over and over a long period of time, it wouldn't be a big deal because it'd be the only factor that's going to make it cold is the air temperature. And people forget that. It's not actually the water temperature because I, I talked to somebody recently about it. Like, why would you go in the sea? It's like the sea's probably changed at most three to five degrees. That's it. It's the air temperature that's, the, that's making it cold. So thus, if you can get over the air temperature, the sea probably be the same color. Okay, you don't particularly want to come out pink. I understand that, but the benefits are probably about even, depending on the person. I didn't want to do it when I first did it. I was like, "Why? Why?" You? And and we joke sometimes about why are you guys doing this. It's not a it's not a a thing to be doing. But be it the benefit that it gives to the blood supply, your way of being able to cope with different things in terms of okay, in grand scheme of things cold water is nothing and if you're able to overcome that adversity the pro your problems you can put it you are able to reframe them a lot better as okay what is what's the scenario to work around it so it's something that i probably wish i probably would have found a lot 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 sooner than in my mid-30s to kind of go i know i know about heart and cold therapy as an athlete because we we literally told to ice and it's almost like a hot water bottle. And I still do that technique now to, to this day of, of something that's not quite right. Okay, we'll do 30 seconds of hot, 30 seconds of cold. The skin doesn't like it, but as in it flushes everything out quite. So so that one, as a coach now, I say, well, you've got your levels in which you can take it. Obviously, the ice bath is probably the most difficult, but the hot and cold therapy of using ice cubes and a hot water bottle, you could put a level, you could put a hoodie between you and, and that stuff, and it would be not as potent. And then you've got, obviously, splashing water in your face, and then hot and cold shower, and then those other techniques as a result. But as in the the, the one that's going to have the most impact is the ice bath. But people are kind of going, well, why would, why, why would I do that? It's like... But because I've got that background in performance, it's like, well, if you're going to tell me it's going to improve this, this, and this, okay, we'll get, we'll, I'll, I'll suck it up and I'll get on with it. Yes. Now, can you share a little bit about what your Paralympic experiences were like? Mm, okay. That's a not easy question. Well, my Paralympic experience, like the first one... <laughs> In theory, I shouldn't have been selected um, because I didn't turn up for trials. Um, I don't mean literally. I, I mean, I, I I was there, but I was had almost like an out-of-body experience that I didn't turn up. Literally, it was like somebody else had taken my place because people were shocked. They're like, what's this? It's not James. Because it was an awful performance. Um, that the other person beat me. Uh, and they were going to go with their decision, whereas there's two seasons before for world champs that I'd already beat, I never lost. It was always never open and shut case. It was, oh, we'll give the other person a second chance. And because I had a good support network, they're kind of going, well, okay, we're going to take you to court if you don't do that because those things are not unjust. Uh, so I was given the ultimatum of I had to move up to the outskirts of London, they wanted me to do it the next day. I didn't do that, but as in, I was, I was going to throw away my university education and people were like, no, 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 pump the brakes. Come on. You do realize the, the, the gravitas of, of that decision. I didn't at the time. I do now. It's major. It's like, guys, that's a very stupid decision, James, if you'd have made it. Um, 
but that's that's I think that's the hold that professional sports has over people to make kind of rash decisions. Whereas if you've got people that care about, they kind of go, well, okay, what contingency plans can can we make? So the university jumped on board that plan. Uh, Sport Wales, Disability Wolf Sport Wales, what can we do to facilitate you that move? It probably took a little bit longer than I'd expected. I think it was the trials would have been like end of March of that year. And I moved after Easter. So I was in my dorms for about two weeks. I was like, oh, I'm going to make this move. And when I moved up, there was a surprise I was there. I was like, well, that's when we agreed. I want to, I was going to be here. And then once I was under their, uh, their, eyes they could they could see that our oh, james does really really care he's he's really committed because i've got this persona that is kind of blase it really it comes across it's quite laid back so it comes across very badly with people that don't know me it's like well he doesn't care it's like well if i didn't care i wouldn't do that to my body because it's, it's psychotic um so the other guy got injured and I literally went, you open a door for me, I'm going to close it right behind me. It's like, bye-bye. Uh, and you didn't get a lock in. So I got select. I got selected. Um, so the experience as a whole, I think the run-up was pretty good. Um, I think the only thing I can remember off the top of my hand, the teammate was like, because about 100 days to go to the games. And he went, are you not excited? No. This is, I'm going to paraphrase Kobe Bryant now. Job's not finished. So literally any, uh, that's obviously in my mind, anything can go wrong between day 100 to day, to day zero. I could get hurt, whatever, you could get hurt. Da, da, da. I'm, I'm not going to rest on my laurels that, whatever we deliver now is going to be good enough on the on on the day so and that's obviously kobe bryant's i don't know which playoff series that is from but obviously they were up to the lakers were up to zero and it's like job's not finished i think it was the nba finals as well but for me that 100 days i think on reflection now 15 years later i probably didn't enjoy the the journey as much as i probably could have um, because I was obsessed of looking at every minute detail, and I still do it to this day. That people kind of going, "Well, why are you so critical?" I was like, "Well, I've got over a decade of doing, literally looking at a microcosm of marginal gains." And there's another athlete that wrote about that on LinkedIn. It's like, "This is what's wrong with people that they focus on this one percent. Should be more bothered about the other ninety nine percent of actually enjoying what they're doing." And I, 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 I was very happy that my family could make it out. This mum, mum and aunt went. Uh, they made a holiday out of it as well. So they went to uh, to go see the Terracotta Warriors. Uh, they went to uh, Shanghai to see my um, my second cousin that was working for their chamber of commerce. So they met, they not just going to Beijing. They went they went to China uh, to see a little bit more as well. So for me, I was obviously going to do a job. So I've the only thing I've got from pictures is I went to the Tiananmen Square. I didn't go into the Forbidden City, but I've, that's about all I got to see. Uh, and then the day we were allowed to supposedly see our family, we had a team meeting. So I was meant to go to the Great Wall of China with my family, and what, what we couldn't. So I was like, I'm going to have to cancel because we've got a team. I don't know why we're going to have a team meeting whenever, but it was like a debrief. So the experience as a whole for it being my first games, I'm happy it wasn't London because there was less pressure. Um, There's no, not just much scrutiny from our our press is ruthless when you don't perform. Uh, So what we portrayed as a crew externally was hey we make the final and that'll be good enough internally obviously we wanted the medal but the press hey you can know this and then we uh, and to give some people a little bit of heads up i can see why i was the most relaxed i've been in my entire career i was most relaxed in that in a final of the probably the highest you're going to get in disabled sport 
than I've been in my entire career and I couldn't put a finger on it but because of probably well lying to the media to say that hey, our expectations in the final would be happy it probably made it as well we've done what we said we were going to do anybody out of these six crews if they get it right on the day can win okay that's not true but as in you've you've got you've got an outside chance and obviously end up finishing fifth um people can't see this i we lost to the fourth place crew by point it changed the, the time from what it was on the scoreboard to the official timesheet afterwards. So I think it was about, it's literally probably my thumb length that we lost by. But they botched their start because our race plan, well, I was instructed by the coach, stay with the Italians. Okay, what do I do now when they're buying this? Literally got left in the blocks. I went, well, for a split second, well, there's our race plan gone out the window. What do I do now? Because um, we were in lane one, car for an entire field, because you're not supposed to, to um, what would be the, how would I describe it? Not supposed to look. I used to do it from time to time, look outside the boat. But as in, if you were focused too much on other people, you're not really concentrating on what you're doing. Um, so to be chased down by the Italians and lose by that margin, they'd probably be kicking themselves more than us. I wasn't happy the next day because all my the, the other crews had got medals. I was thinking, well, got nothing really to show for this game. I've got loads upstairs to 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 recant the the, the experience. Um, and then because our competition was only three days, I got to see all those other and support other sports. So I went to see uh, swimming. I bumped into an old adversary uh, from the French team, um, and my French was still not too bad. He's like, "Oh, good. he recognised me. I didn't recognise him." And he went, "Oh, what are you swimming?" It's like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing. It. I'm done. I've done. A, I'm in another sport, and I've already finished. Uh, I'm just here to, to, to. I wanted to see the inside the water cube, and and, and we had to do this as an exercise as 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 juniors in the British swimmer visualizing. It's like okay, I told this visualization. Let's see what I actually finishes. I couldn't do it as an exercise as a sixteen year old. I fell asleep. But let's see the inside of this finished building and see what all the hype is about. It's an impressive building. Um, so I'm lucky that I've not only gone into a summer games one. I've technically gone into a, a um, it's the curling venue for the last winter games as well so i've been in a winter one without actually going so i went to swimming i went to wheelchair rugby so murder ball um that was an amazing atmosphere because it was very short uh, and uh so the brits play the australians so got to, to meet a lot of the family and that was an amazing experience i uh, went to wheelchair basketball so the the bronze medal match between GB in the US and then Australia and Canada. And considering I play the sport now, to have seen it, the top of the sport, the pinnacle. So I know a lot of the athletes, um, and I still there's, a, there's still a few of the British guys are still competing. So people are like, well, how do you know so and so? It's like, well, I've known them since for the last. So one, I think he's going to be coming to retirement soon, but I've known him for 15 years. And uh, I was with the Australians' uh, um, supporters. I think they might have been uh, in the team because they were going back to the village. I asked the British basketball team, oh, can I get a, a, a ride with you guys back to the village? Because I don't know where the, 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 the buses are for the spectators. It's like, sure, you can, James, you can come on. But the Australians, they were joking with them. But no, the Australians can't come on the bus because the Australians got they, they win it i know the brits got the bronze i can't remember and then what else did i go see so that's what i wanted to do in the games is like well i'm i'm only here for we're only here for two days but we're only sorry we're only competing for three days but we're here for two weeks so let me lap up and, and, and be able to immerse obviously with the sport i did um Rugby obviously is, is an amazing sport to watch um, when it's close. And then basketball, 
I've always had a well, my family, my dad's family is from Kentucky, so it's a religion. So I've always had a it's close to my heart. And people do ask, well, if you'd have found wheelchair basketball sooner, would you have done that? I was like, yes. But I might not be speaking to you today if I'd have made that choice 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then London, as an experience, it was amazing to compete at home, uh, on home soil. Uh, it, it, it far exuded my expectations of the games because um oh yeah that's the other one i went to i went to the birds nest to watch some of the athletics but my my family had gone to go to some of the events and they were talking about rent a crowd i was like no there's no there's no way they're marching people in and out of the stadiums and did exactly that chinese so make it better for the for the cameras so when i saw it for myself i was like well, Lon- London's going to struggle to to do that because you can't make people do that. So people want to go to the Olympics, but they won't want to go to the to the Paralympics because that's been the the struggle for for probably decades of of getting the people to come to events. And unbeknownst to me, uh, because I had friends, people I went to to university with, are like, "Oh, James, I can't get tickets." Seriously. You can't get tickets. Because I was joking with media. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's going to be so easy to get tickets. Not going to be any black market stuff. But So if you didn't know anybody that was competing and you hadn't got a ticket up until that point, you weren't going to get one. It was like the hottest ticket in town. So I think because people hadn't got Olympic tickets, they kind of gone that two-week build-up between one game's finished another one started people were like oh we want more more of this and uh one of our tv networks they ran a um promotional and marketing campaign as i can't remember what it is i've I've got it somewhere because i screenshot it and i saved it like the thanks for the warm-up act now so it's like, like almost like total disrespect to the to, to the Olympics. I was, yeah, yeah. Now the real show is gonna start. I can't remember, but it was like very tongue in cheek. I was like, okay, this thing's gonna do. And uh, and we know because I'd been in a team of the British Olympic team did okay in 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 Beijing, but the Paralympics can do it literally in like the first week of whatever they medal tally. So I joke around with people. I was like, well. If you think the Olympic t- t- total is something to be proud of, tune into the Paralympics and they're going to probably double it. Uh, it's going to get more and more difficult as as other nations. But but for 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 me, at home for more fam. So my cousin that's born on the same day to me uh, as me, I think I'm about a few a few hours older. Um, she got to see me compete. So a lot more of my family and friends got us. Uh, I had people I went to university that were volunteers. And they were like, oh, James, you compete. Oh, you're doing that. Uh, I didn't have an opportunity to actually to stop by and have a, ch- and have a chat. But it was, I think, more surreal because I'd got the bug from my first game. Because once it was a closing ceremony, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm very sad that it's finishing but when's the next one? When's the, when's the next cycle going to start? So literally, we get to you get two months off to rest and recover and and maybe, and have the R and R. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do. It. I'd obviously gone back to university. Uh, we competed in the September, so I had about. Did I go anywhere? I didn't go anywhere on on, on vacation. Normally, I'm on vacation after a championship. That year I didn't. So once I went back to university, we were had to go back to training by November. I was like, no, no, please, can I go back sooner? Because this is killing me. This is killing me. Just going, waking up, eating, going to class. Can I train? I got injured in the first week. <laughs> I was back, and then I had to go back. I had to go do a recovery thing. So I said, James, did you overdo it? Mm, I, I guess I probably did because I went out of first gear um, because I was too excited to, to, to get back. Uh, for, for for London, I retired within a year, year after that. So I'd obviously 
for me it was to go and do another games in Rio um, obviously that, that didn't happen but that was the plan to uh, volleyball got me to London I was going to jettison that and then go into well, I talked about it a little bit earlier of, of kayaking um, and for whatever reason it didn't it didn't agree with me uh, from a more from an anatomy standpoint I was always getting injured and things like that and I don't think my head was in the game either at that point because I, I, to the back end of my volleyball career, I was hating going to practice. I was loathing it. I was like, it should have been probably the most happiest time of my life, but I'd lost perspective on, well, you you should be very fortunate that you get to do this as a career. I do now because it's like people say, what was it like? It's like, well, I've got to travel the globe. So I've been to probably, I've competed literally on every almost every continent. I've traveled to a lot of countries and I got to do something that I enjoy. So for, for me as a 36 year old now, it's like, gosh, yeah. I do get from time to time. Um, my aunt has asked me twice in my life. Uh, one was I think about two years ago and then the other time was about a decade ago. Would I do it all over again? My answer has not changed in those 10 years. Yes, please. Let's do all again. And obviously I would change I would change a few things that and see where the outcome would would would, would obviously change by making a slightly different decision because I was like, well that didn't work. Let me try the, the alternative and see what happens. But for me, it it's I I I'm excited just even to talk about it. So yeah, if I got to do it all over again, yes, please. We got to start over. Where do I sign? Um, so it's hard to put into words what each game means to me. Um, I think I wouldn't have gone to China if I hadn't been for the Paralympics because of, well, it's not political, but as in there's no excitement or buzz to, to, to visit. There's a lot to do in China, but as in it's, I would rather maybe go to Japan. I, I wanted to go to uh, Tokyo and to Japan as a spectator um, but obviously we couldn't because of the pandemic that was a game that I was really excited to kind of go well, okay the Japanese do things amazingly I want to go to that one to see what they can do to deliver so Japan is more of a fascination for me to visit and um, my mum's actually on a cruise at 80 day cruise at the moment so she's going to get to go to Japan um, in a couple weeks uh, so I'm very jealous uh, of not being able to take off a country um, first. So I think to have this family support and because my mum's especially pretty much travelled the length and the breadth of countries to, to see me compete. So she's seen the highs, the lows and everything in between that even my first world championships in 06, she went, I understand why you're upset, but your aunt and uncle don't know why. So you need to be a bit more compatible. So by the time I rolled around to to China and we finished fifth, I was a different person because my mum went, where's James? Because I literally said, we threw the kitchen sink and it wasn't good enough. Where's James? Because James doesn't normally say things like that. James turned up the next day and were very, very not happy. But as in, on 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 the day, I was like, well, we gave it everything that we could. It wasn't... it. it, it we've done all the prep work we've done everything that we could and it wasn't it wasn't for whatever reason i've got a cap, cap uh not my cap to all the competitors they were better and for my mom was like james you don't normally say things like that I was like, well it's the truth like i i, I know i've p- put my best foot for, forward and it wasn't good enough so I'd probably grown up, was I 22 by that point? So I'd probably grown up a lot to kind of go, I can't throw my can't throw my toys out the pram because I'm not happy. Um, but I think because I come back down to earth the next day, I was like, well, I'm not happy. Uh, and that marks a good put, a put, good sportsman because he's like, well, you're not happy, what are you going to do? But I can't do anything until the next year. But... And I didn't get to go ride out on a white horse, but we got pretty close. So, so L- London was probably a little bit more. There was no chance of a medal, so it was almost 
I can enjoy I could enjoy it a little bit more whereas China was very much you're almost instructed as this is work this is work this is what we're here to, we're not here to participate we're here to win um and I think that's the difference between some of the nations you can see that as like they they're just I won't say happy to make up the numbers as in they, they they enjoy it a little bit more because they're able to go somewhere that's obviously a lot better than maybe some places Africa and Asia whereas I think more specifically the Brits and maybe the other English speaking countries like well it's all business it's all business it's like well it's got to be fun as well otherwise there's no point doing it definitely now early on you did mention how um, when you first got into athletics you were not playing on a disabled team so would you briefly just be able to kind of share what your disability how it affects like your day-to-day life outside of athletics okay so the medical description of it is femoral dysplasia so i don't have a femur i've got a small tibia and fibula so i've got the bottom half of the of the leg so i'm trying to be as descriptive as possible because it's not easy to to visualize um, so I wear a, prost- a prosthetic leg or artificial leg um, to 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 be able to walk. Um, so obviously, what you you mentioned early doors and the introduction, Sarah, the medical field saying I shouldn't have. I never got recanted that. That's obviously what was told to my family um, before I was born, as due to the amount of bones and I'm missing a lot just beyond those those three. Um, it is it is factually correct, but because I wasn't told that as a kid, it's like psh, okay, I'm gonna learn to crawl. I'm eventually gonna figure out. Mum couldn't catch me, and then eventually uh, I've got a picture somewhere of, of me with my first bro- first leg. My smile is infectious. It's like I'm very proud of being able to stand up for the first time. Uh, so that obviously gone from that. So how does it affect me? Well, it doesn't really because I don't really think about it. I, I, I hear obviously other people within the, the amplitude community berating it. I've even I even asked the question months ago of if you had one word to describe how you felt about your condition, say your amputation, what would it be? The amount of negative words I got from that thing, I was like, wow. It went viral, but I didn't expect it to go to blow up as it did. I was just curious. But it was good. It was bad. There was no in between. It was literally good or bad. It was a lot better reading the positive comments so it, than the negative. Negative. I was like, well, I'm not going to read any more of those because it made me feel bad. But in terms of for me personally, it's given me a lot of resilience. It's given me a lot of determination, lots of discipline because. I could have self pity as or oh, poor mate. Poor, I did as a young kid. I wanted to be able bodied, um, but as a result of having the disability, it's opened doors. It's given me a platform and it's enabled me to do to do a lot more a lot more things. And potentially, if I had two legs, I might have been able to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I wouldn't have got to the same level. We'll never know, but in terms of it's given me such a platform to kind of go okay you you you've got this adverse adversity factor adverse situation so what but because my family was very very hard-nosed and stubborn okay james got the disability let's throw him in the deep end let's throw him to the wall see what happens and literally this is how I'll come out. Because and this is this is why I get irritated sometimes of people being wrapped up in cotton wool. It's like, well, you're not helping the individual because they're gonna be soft. Because if you're not able to deal with a difficult situation, you're gonna go to somebody else. Oh, mom, dad, how do I do this? Have you not can you not figure it out by yourself? And you learn through adversity and you learn through difficulties of I probably had it maybe easier than I probably could have as I got older because I had support to kind of go walk at the, the situation with potentially not making it my first Paralympics. 
to making a very rash decision to, okay, I'm going to jeopardize my future to guarantee a short-term future because there was no guarantee I made the team anyway because the other person could have still been better than well, it wasn't better than me. And it was lucky that I didn't beat him on that day. Um, but, and that's not being arrogant because I, I literally wiped, wiped the floor with him, the, the training camp that we went before uh, the, the trials. So that's why people were shocked. It's like, well, you've beaten him hands down in literally every test that we've given to you. Yeah, so you shouldn't have really made that decision because I beat him. Thus, because I didn't turn up for one day because of pressure. That's what it was. That's what and I've only done it once uh, since. Um, even in basketball, that I made, I magnified the the importance of the of the game, and then I played crap. I don't do that anymore. I kind of go, well, it doesn't matter. Game is like practice. It just obviously win losses accounted for practice you can lose and it's not a big deal it's just bragging rights but I think the disability as a as a whole has pl- laid the foundations for having that impact to show up all the time it's like you don't have to show up 100% it can be shown up in a different way if you, if you do if you do if for whatever reason you're low with Im- your your energy levels. Yeah, don't do video. Write a post. Do technically I could do a podcast, and it's later in in the future. And just to be resourceful to the fact that bad times are gonna pass, and and it's it was what you make of it, and. The disability isn't going to be one of those things that is a descriptor of me. It's a label at the end of the day. So when other people say, oh, I don't like the word disabled, I don't like the word handicapped, I don't care. I'd use even worse things to describe me in terms of, uh, I, won't, I won't name the buzz, and there are worse names under the sun to, to, to recant against it having a, a, a disability or deformity, I could use that. And I was like, well, that doesn't doesn't describe me. It describes a condition that I've got, but that doesn't define me as a human being. Um, and I think I've got to give a massive credit to one of my lecturers for that kind of way of thinking because he was a well, psychologist. He went, when I see you, and it's actually a podcast that people want to go listen um, that, that I'm talking about, uh, with Stephen Melio, is I I view as James the academic. I view you, James uh, the athlete. James, um, what are the other three? Uh, race, uh, and I can't remember the other two. But literally, it was like three, four boxes. Whereas, whereas at that, I think at that particular moment, I was lost because I was off the back of retiring, and I was like, well my life has no purpose anymore it's like it's literally i've done everything that i that i well almost everything that i sent out to i didn't get the gold medal but i'd literally have done everything seen everything got the t-shirt of what 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 is life gonna be like now that all that is gone so almost not giving myself it's, it's i think a lot of Athletes, they get to to that stage of they're grieving. It's like, well, my life's finished. It's like nothing's ever going to be the same as 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 that. And through my podcast of speaking to, I got to sit down with one of my idols from when I was a kid, and he literally said, "You're not going to be able to ever replace those heydays. You just can't. You can't have the people chanting chanting in the crowds. It's it's not. It's it, I'm still competing. So I got. I've still got." some resemblance of that and I enjoy it I enjoy every minute of it well maybe not yesterday but as in some of it but I was right yesterday because the team we faced were better than the coach thought they were going to be it's like well I told you so um, and we we well, I didn't lose because that's the only positive out of it but in in terms of the, that looking at the disability it doesn't define me it's just it makes me unique in a sense of I'm James and I'm I, I'm the only I to my knowledge 
I'm the only James Roberts in the world that's an athlete and has a disability. All the other guys, if you could, if you had to Google this, because I have, because I'm curious, are all they're all professional. They're, I think there's two swimmers. One plays Austra- uh, Australian rugby league. They're all professional athletes. They're thinking, okay, must be something in the water with those two, <laughs> two names for that to happen. That there's five of us that that have gone into the athletic trade, but. In terms of like the definition of the disability, it's not something that's going to hold me back. It's 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 now within my my realm in coaching is an advantage because it's like okay, well, if you came to me for example, Sarah, you've got a, a, something I can resolve. It can't out. It, surely it can't outweigh what I've overcome, can it? I would, I'd never do that, but as in I've got that in my back pocket if I ever had to do it. If somebody came, well, I can't do it. Well, look what I've achieved. So when I get to speak to uh, parents who've got disabled children, I remind them of the fact is, hey, your son or daughter might eclipse far beyond what I've done. And that's saying something because it's like I've I've managed to do a lot of amazing things but your son or daughter might be better than me. So there's no need to worry about them as let them make the mistakes just as you would if, unless they were, well, I think this goes for everybody. Let them make the mistakes and then you, you're, you're not, you're smart enough as a child to kind of go, well, I made that, that mistake. What can I do differently the next time? And eventually obviously you'll get better at something. And if they wanted to be, because I've thought about it when I have kids, it's like, well, how are they going to live with my shadow over their head? And I've got used to it now. It's like, it doesn't matter. If they want to go and be in whatever profession, say artist or, or whatever, and they don't, and they hate sport, if you're going to be the best that you can in, in that discipline, go ahead. I'm going to support you just like my mom did with me. If it's in sport, it can kind of go, well, that's the internet. Worst case scenario as a parent, let's see if we can find something negative about me in the press that you could maybe put on your wall. Oh, my, my daddy, there's all these good things. Oh, can we print that one off? Or whatever, whatever technology is in the future. And so I can use that as well. There is a blemish against against him. And obviously I talk about it about the bad times of I'm I'm not scared to be vulnerable to show some of the weaknesses that I've that I've that I've faced because I think it's for people listening or people watching it gives a better actual overview of of the of me as a person because the you there's relatability with the flaws who's to say that you have no in, inclination to do the, the heights that I did. That's fair enough. And I think people are very um, complimentary uh, of when I go into vulnerability. It's like, oh, I couldn't share that. It's like, well, that's not difficult for me because I've overcome it. It's, 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 I'm willing to, in the early days, I was put on this pedestal when I left sports. Like, oh, I can't ever be like you. So I filled the gap with vulnerability. Okay, what do I need to do to to make you feel that I'm on the same level playing field as you? I'm quite happy to step off this 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 rostrum or podium that you put me on. I don't want to be there anyway. I'll I'll level the playing field and show you not everything, but as in I've sh- I'm pretty pretty open with a lot of of vulnerabilities of you know failing academically. Uh, in school to being dropped you name it I've, I've probably done it all right well I really appreciate you sharing those vulnerabilities um and at this point we're going to wrap the episode up so at the end of all my episodes I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with anything we have talked about so my question for you is what song can you listen to all day long oh wow one song or maybe an all artist. Probably all day long. Um, I'm going to use Spotify because they did something that 
at, at the turn of Christmas and the New Year last year to to summarize what you'd been. Uh, I think the top one that I'd listened to the most, I think, was Snoop Dogg, and I was very surprised. Um, but it shows uh, maybe the influence of, of potentially basketball because I've got a, a specific uh, playlist of before games that is maybe a little bit more... Um, I would say term aggressive because he's obviously to try and st- stimulate me. So I would go with go with him that I probably could listen to all day. Um, I might not necessarily do it in a, in a work fashion because don't necessarily want to be uh, angry <laughs> uh, that what hip hop and rap would would generally put people in. Um, so I would have to go with with him on on the on, on specific artist. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So of course, I'll be leaving James's website in the description that will bring you to his podcast, his coaching and all the good things um, that he's got going on. And I will also be leaving links for some of his social media. So if you'd like to connect with him and go follow him, feel free to check those links out. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. It of course brings you to our social media. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So feel free to go follow those pages. I always appreciate that support. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that in the description as well. And if you would like to be a guest, my email is there. And I always look forward to people reaching out and sharing their stories as well. So thank you so much, James, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye.